Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Today, I am so delighted to have Carol Mahoney on. How are you, Carol? I am absolutely fabulous. Thank you so much for having me, Wesleyan. I am just excited to be here and, you know, talk with you about all of this stuff. I am excited to chat with you. Let me tell you guys a little bit about Carol. She is the author of Buyer First, Grow Your Business with Collaborative Selling. Carol is on a mission to change how the sales industry sees itself and how buyers see it too. She is the president of the Boston chapter of the Association of Inside Sales Professionals and has been named a top sales influencer by LinkedIn and Sales Hacker and is a sales coach for the Harvard Entrepreneurial MBA program. Wow, you have a lot of accomplishments and accolades. So tell us, how did you get started in your career and how did you get to where you are today? So I actually started my career in marketing because, well, to be frank, I hated the idea of sales, the pushy, slimy, sleazy sales tactics. Whenever I thought of sales, I thought of my mother's ex-boyfriend, the used car salesman that was just a con artist. And so my disdain for sales was so strong that when my college guidance counselor said, you'd be a great salesperson, I said, if it says sales on the job description, then just cut it out of the list. Because I'm not calling people, I'm not gonna be that person, I'm gonna focus on marketing. And I believed that if I did awesome marketing that the sales would come in because this was the age of the internet, right? Like SEO was just starting, pay-per-click was just starting. And my belief was that the internet was gonna make it easier for people to buy, which means we wouldn't need salespeople. I was actually on a mission to make them obsolete. Like, let's just get rid of the middleman altogether, right? Yeah. So fast forward, the Great Recession happens. I get laid off from my corporate job. I had a five-year plan to open my own business and that five-year plan became a six-month plan because that's how long I had in unemployment. And that's when I really started to have to face the facts about sales because as a business owner, you're a salesperson, whether you like it or not. And if you're not doing it, you're not feeding your family, you're not eating yourself, you're not paying your bills. And that was the eventual reality that I had to face. And I had clients that I had gotten in through referrals and introductions and partnerships and things like that that I had built, but they were kind of a pain in the butt. They were always, you know, negotiating on the invoice. They weren't following my advice. You know, like someone told me you need to add a PETA factor for your invoices, which I'm like, flatbread? Like, what's that all about? (laughs) It's the pain in the you-know-what client that you have to charge more for for dealing with them. And I was in that situation where I had clients, maybe not enough of them, but I certainly didn't have enough of them because I was so busy over delivering and getting underpaid for these ones that I was struggling Mm. with my bills. So I actually was introduced to Objective Management Group through a colleague of mine, Pete Caputo, who was running the HubSpot Partner Program where I was a partner of. And that's when it all started, when I started to really start addressing my own thoughts and beliefs about sales. And that was what was Mm -hmm. impacting my actions in the conversations. And even though I had tried, you know, every tip, every trick, every hack, every alphabet soup process that you can think of to try and get more customers and sales, no matter how much I hated it, I made myself do it. I didn't realize that what was actually getting in my way was how I was thinking and believing what sales was all about. And that was what was getting in my way of being actively listening with my customers and asking good questions that uncovered real needs and problems that were compelling to them. And it started this transformation in me that I eventually left marketing and turned to the dark side of sales full time. And Mm. it was then that I joined Women Sales Pros and started surrounding myself with other strong sales leaders and influencers and started to then really continue that transformation and kind of fell in love with sales because I realized that sales is about helping people. It's about connecting problems and solutions together. And isn't that how we make the world a better place? And 
because of the transformation that I went through because of coaching and training and addressing those things and all of the stuff that I had to go through, I wanted to do the same thing for other people. So that's how mm -hmm. I founded Unbound Growth, started getting into doing coaching and training of others because I'm not alone in the fact that a lot of us have those negative perceptions towards sales that impact our results and behaviors. Like if you read mm -hmm. Daniel Pink's book, To Sell Us Human, over 10 years ago, he talked about how seven out of 10 of us associate sales with pushy, slimy, and sleazy used car salespeople. It hasn't changed a lot, despite all of the technology that we have. And so that is why I wanna change how people see sales, both the seller and the buyer side. And hence that's kind of the birth of the book, Buyer First, because I believe that when we put our buyers first, that we create buying experience that add more value, then it's customer retention and acquisition becomes all that much easier. And we reduce this perception of sales as pushy and slimy. Mm, wow, 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 wow. You've had a very, very rich career, a very, you know, up and down. And mm, I think I want to do this. I think I don't want to do that. Right. So let's circle back a bit on memory lane and go back to your career as a marketer where you had this thought like my goal is to get rid of salespeople. Yep. There's no point in them. So as you were in that space, were you successful in getting the salespeople to do more, to be out of the process? How did that work? So at the time I was working in a financial company and they had a 250 person outbound call center automated dialing, like before automated dialers were a thing. And this was just like the beginning of inbound marketing. Like it was just a word that was whispered back in the halls of HubSpot in 2007. And so as I was working with this company, I was the liaison between IT marketing and the sales floor. And so oftentimes I would walk out onto the sales floor and my job was to try to deliver more inbound leads for these outbound callers. And mm. that experience was like, we don't need these salespeople. So when I launched out on my own, and started doing internet marketing and delivering leads to clients, I was like, yes, we've solved the problem. We don't need salespeople to develop leads. We don't need salespeople to call on people anymore. The internet is driving people to our websites who are filling out these forms, who are raising their hands. Except what I kept finding that was happening with my clients is that they were responding to these inbound leads, these educated internet savvy leads with 1980s and 90s sales tactics, like expecting oh. them to have their credit cards in hand ready to buy. And when they weren't ready to buy, these leads are no good. We can't. And I'm like, you're not even trying. Like, you're not even asking any questions. You're just, what do you want to order? And it's going to cost this much. Are you ready to buy? Like, that was their process. And yeah. that's when I started seeing this disconnect between not just like marketing had it kind of figured out, like they knew what they needed to do in order to grab people's attention online and to get them to fill out a form, to raise their hand, to identify the issues. But sales was still working in the Glendary Glen Ross days. And mm. so my clients were burning through these leads. And that's when I started to realize we still need salespeople to make the connections because the internet is full of information doesn't necessarily mean it's the right information for our buyer to be able to make a decision that's best in their interest. And mm. so when I started working with my client's sales teams and started to try to, to make that disconnect uh, between marketing and sales and the buyer, all of a sudden I was starting to hear things like, oh, so that's what our buyer is thinking. And that's exactly what I, the conversation that I need to have with my buyer. And so that's when I started to piece together that, yes, we need to obliterate the pushy, slimy, outdated sales tactics, but the person who helps to make the connection, we need that more than ever because we're inundated with all of this information as buyers. And mm. so that's when I was kind of like, there's something that needs to change here. 
the buyers aren't going to change because they're the ones that make the rules. They have the money, they have the gold, they make the rules, hence the new golden rule. So the thing that needs to change is the salesperson, the person's perspective of what buying and selling is all about and how we engage with today's buyer. Yeah, and really when you think about that integration between sales, marketing, if you're thinking internally and customer success Mm -hmm. or the customer on the other end, sales is the glue that brings all things together because yes, marketing can bring us the best leads, but we'll never convert those really good leads unless we have a strong sales team, unless we know what to do. And again, on the customer success side, it's like, yeah, we're just sitting here and we love clients, but if the sales team can't, get things that we need moving through the pipeline, then nothing really happens. And so really having that integration of those three distinct parts of the organization is what helps organizations grow and strive and achieve those goals. Yeah, because ultimately this is the thing that I find most organizations are overlooking today. We're so focused. Like if you go on LinkedIn and you search for the hashtags, customer experience, customer journey, customer centric, millions of people are following those or maybe hundreds of thousands of people are following those. But when you look up buyer experience, less than a hundred people. And we Mm -hmm. seem to forget that before we can have a great customer experience, we have to have a great buyer experience. And it is Mm -hmm. that buying experience that people have that will set the foundation and the path for how the customer success team works with them, how the support team works with them later on. It impacts retention later on. Retention has less to do with customer success and more with the buying experience people initially have. That first impression Mm -hmm. that they're getting of your company is from the buying experience. So help us understand the difference between a customer experience and a buyer's experience. A customer experience, that's when they've given you money. They've given you money to solve a problem and now you wanna make sure that they're gonna be successful with the onboarding, with the solution that they have, et cetera. The buying experience is where trust gets established so that they'll either give you more money or money faster later on. You can't have a good customer experience before you have a good buying experience. And I believe that that is one of the reasons why we're seeing customer acquisition rates drop, why we're seeing customer retention issues rise, and why we're having friction in our internal teams because the promise that gets made during the buying experience isn't always the promise that gets delivered in the customer experience. There's a disconnect that's happening. Mm. And everybody is always focused on, you know, oh, customer experience, customer experience, but how many organizations have a buyer experience team? How many organizations are thinking about, okay, from the time this person lands on our website, visits our booth, all the way until we get their money. Now, before we get our money, what is the experience that they're having? And are we as an organization cohesive enough to ensure if there is a handoff between marketing and inside salesperson and outside salesperson, whatever, like that is consistent and congruent? Yeah. Well, if you look at LinkedIn's 2020 and 2021 buyer first surveys, which was the inspiration for the title of the book, one of the, I think it was the 2020 survey, they asked buyers, B2B buyers, what do you value most in your exchange with salespeople? The number one trait that they wanted in salespeople from buyers was active listening. Like be Mm. fully present with me. Let me know that you're actually listening and understanding to what I'm saying and that I'm not just talking to a brick wall. Now, when they Mm. asked that same question of sales leaders, What is the number one trait that you look for in leaders? Active listening, which was number one for buyers, was number five for who they looked for and they hired. 
Wow. Oh, wow. Wow. That is crazy, crazy, crazy. I'm actually working on a, a speech right now and I'm talking about the IQ, EQ, and AQ, right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people know IQ, EQ is emotional quotient, but that AQ is the adaptability quotient. Mm -hmm. And so how can we be, how if we have that emotional intelligence, if we're like, I know this is what my customers need, but my salespeople don't need this. It's We're not adapting our environments internally and externally to match what the world needs, what our customers need. What our buyers need. And that's the whole thing. Like at Harvard Business School, Mark Robers is a senior lecturer there. And one of the things that he says in his class is that traditional sales models design their sales processes from the outside in. This is what we need in the sales process. This is our product. This is all about us. Versus yeah. the new innovative salespeople are the ones that are designing their sales processes from the outside in. They're looking mm -hmm. to what is our buyer's steps in the process? What do they need in order to be able to make a decision and feel comfortable with that? And designing our sales process to align with that. Because again, the golden rule is those who have the gold make the rules. That is the buyer. Mm. So when you are going about making a buyer-centric sales process, tell me what are the things, what are the steps that one should start with in setting that process up? So in setting that process up, first, you have to have, make sure that your head is in the right place. Um, there's been a lot of tactics lately that have gone around like, you know, if you don't respond to this email by X date, then I'm going to close your file, for example. And the tactic is that if we take something away from them, then they're going to suddenly respond to us because they're going to fear that they're going to miss out on something. So not that. That is not buyer centric. That's manipulation. What I'm talking about in a sales process is when you start from the mindset of being collaborative with your buyer. If you've ever heard of the Ikea effect, Harvard researchers looked at why are people willing to pay more for Ikea furniture that they have to put together themselves, right? Like rather than what's an expert has put together for them. And what they found mm -hmm. is that when someone has put work or effort into creating something for themselves, they place more value on it and are willing to pay more for it. As well mm -hmm. as if someone just like them created something for like them, right? So they feel that it's personal and customized to them. They've collaborated on it. And so in your sales process, look at where are the places that we can collaborate with our buyers? For example, discovery questions. Most of the time we're asking discovery questions so that we can find a pain point to sell to. Instead, design your questions to be collaborative to ask the buyers, what do you think the problem is? What kind of solutions have you tried before? What's worked? What hasn't worked? Why do you think that is? You're an expert in your company and in your industry. What do you think's going on? And how do you think a solution would work best for you? These are some very simple questions in a sales discovery and process that you can start to understand and collaborate with your buyers. Now, the other side of this is there's also a study that was done I think it was done in Stanford, actually, where they showed that through magnetic electronic imaging of their brains, that when people talk about what they think, like right now, my dopamine is high off the charts because I'm talking all about what I think and what I believe and all of these kinds of things, right? And that's why you often hear in sales conversations, sellers go into pitching too soon or talking about what they know too soon because they're nervous. And so the more they talk, the more dopamine they feel, they think the call is going great, but it's all in their heads. The thing is, is that if we can get our buyers to start talking more about themselves and what they think, which is what matters, they get that dopamine hit. And it's the same place in our brains where we form bonds and trust and relationships. So if in your sales process, you can design your questions to be collaborative so that you can get your buyers to talk more about what they think, you're building trust with them early in the process, then it's easier for you later on when you're summering your conversation 
and you're offering, these are the capabilities that we offer in a quantifiable way and tying it back to what they shared. Now you're doing that thing that seems to be impossible for so many salespeople where you're taking the needs that they've shared with you, addressing those needs in the capabilities that you have and proving and showing to them a quantifiable impact of that. That seems to be a lot of the disconnect that's happening where what I'm hearing from buyers is they're asking me a bunch of questions, but then they're giving me the same pitch that they give to everybody else. And I have to try and figure out how it applies to me. Mm, so if we can design wow. our sales process in the reverse, then we're yeah. going to have less friction in that process. We're going to have higher conversion rates. I had actually one of my clients tell me yesterday after working through this process and changing his sales process to align with his buyers, he saw a 71% increase in his close rate in eight months. At a wow. time when people in his industry were cutting their rates in half because they were losing business. Mm, that is amazing. And, you know, everything that you said about really stepping into the buyer's world, I think it kind of rolls into something that you mentioned you struggle with was those self-limiting beliefs, right? Mm -hmm. Like really staying so much inside your head or the things that you thought, the beliefs that you had that really commanded the way that you sold. Yeah. So how do those beliefs, those things that we have in our brain impact the way that we show up and sell? So for example, I examined five different mindsets from objective management group that impact our selling skills. And the number one that is the most prevalent among salespeople is the non-supportive buy cycle. I call it the how you buy is how you sell. So if, for example, you're someone who feels that you need to get the best price for something, you do a lot of research, you need to ask everybody else's opinion before you can feel comfortable making a decision, which means it takes longer for you to make your decisions. When your buyer says to you, you know what, I need to think this over, I need to talk to so-and-so, I've got to do my deal diligence and talk to six other vendors, your reaction is, well, yeah, I get it. I would totally need to do my due diligence as well. So you go ahead and think it over. I know you're going to eventually come back and buy from me. Because you buy that way, you sell that way, or you expect your buyers to sell that way so that when they do, you don't have the ability to ask those tough questions to push back, which then also ties into what the next most common mindset that gets in the way of a lot of salespeople is emotional involvement, right? You hear an objection or you hear buying signals. They're excited to see our product. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, I had one client tell me, he was like, I was calculating the commission numbers in my head every time I heard a buying signal and didn't mm -hmm. even realize he was doing it. And as mm -hmm. he was doing that, trying to figure out the commission structure or, you know, how am I going to answer this objection that they just posed? He was so wrapped up in his head, he couldn't even hear what the other buyer was saying. He couldn't even mm -hmm. see like the body language, the tone of voice that might have changed. And so because he was so wrapped up in his head, he couldn't actually think of what the next natural question was to ask. Versus mm -hmm. being able to be in that present moment, having your mind somewhat clear, because we all have thoughts that mm -hmm. run through our heads, but being able to manage those things and not be distracted by them changed his ability to be able to know what question to ask at the right time. And mm -hmm. also the other thing that also happens, and this is the third most common mindset, is the need for approval. Uh, yeah. We all have that, right? Like when we were infants and we looked to our parents when we did something, we wanted that validation that we were doing something right. And especially for newer salespeople who haven't done this before. But the need for approval shows up when you're talking with a C-level executive, for example, and they've said something that you know isn't right. And you need to ask a question to push back or to challenge that perspective. But you don't because if I upset the C-executive, he's never going to want to buy from me versus being able to be comfortable enough in your own skin and validating yourself based on things that don't rely on other external people's opinions of you. 
And being able to ask that tough questions is actually what's going to earn their respect and their trust because now you're not just a yes person who's going to say yes to whatever they say. You're actually going to give them a new perspective or maybe tell them something that they didn't know or hadn't considered before that's going to add value in their situation, make them look at it a little bit differently. And we don't do that because we're worried what people are going to think about us, right? They're going to get upset yeah. with me. They're not going to want to buy from me. And the thing of this is, is these are longstanding mindsets that we've developed over time. And a lot of people think it's really hard to change these things. And it is. Yeah. But at the same time, like any kind of behavior change, which is what we're talking about here, that's what sales is all about, helping to establish and manage behavior change in ourselves and in our buyers, yeah. is they can take small steps every day to start to change these things. So for example, one of the exercises that I have some of my clients go through when I'm coaching managers, I have them do this with their team, is that if you have a team who has a non-supportive buy cycle, one of the things that you can do as a small exercise with them is to take everybody out to lunch and the rules are this. You have to choose what you're going to eat in two minutes or less. You can't ask anyone else what they're having and everyone's going to order without all of that kind of stuff going on. And it's just yeah. a small way for you to be able to make a decision quickly with limited data in a timetable that has a deadline to it. And so mm -hmm. doing small little exercises like that in your daily life, whether it's yoga or meditation to help you manage your emotions in the moment overall, whether it's little exercises like having conversations with your family about money so that you can support a supportive buy cycle and be comfortable discussing money or yeah. You know, like the fear of rejection. As business owners, we face this, I think, even worse or more so than salespeople and companies do. Because when someone rejects us, they're rejecting us. It's our product, yeah. it's our intellect, it's our life's work, how we feed our family. Mm -hmm. As a salesperson, yeah, you don't want my company's product, not a big deal, it has nothing to do with me. And so mm -hmm. exposing yourself to rejection on a regular basis in small ways to kind of build up that muscle and that ability to handle it when it does happen. So there are a lot of things that we can do to start changing our beliefs and our mindsets to support us in the activities and the actions that we need to do with our buyers to get different results. That's good. All of those, I like to call it mental spaghetti yeah. um, because they're all the things that swirl around in our brain when we're in that mode of having to, and I don't like to say sell, right? Because we want to be consultants. We want to be partners with our buyers, right. with our customers. And so it's very hard not to see that the things that you do professionally really stem from what you do personally. If exactly. you go to 10 different car dealerships and try to shake everybody down for price, when somebody does that to you, the same thing's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And these things are ingrained in us from childhood because I remember my youngest son asked me, at one point he said, mom, can I bring my Nintendo Switch to school? I said, no, why would you ever ask that question? Uh, I was like, your teacher's gonna say no. He was like, but I can ask her, right? I was like, you can absolutely ask her. <laughs> and so he asked and she said no, but he has the confidence to ask mm -hmm. because that is a thing that I put into him. And so these things actually come from the way that you were raised, the norms that you thought, societal norms, cultural norms. Right. And so it takes time to break them. Yeah. Um, and I always like to say, don't beat yourself up. Just take a small step. Like, I love that activity that you had your client do going out to lunch. Two minutes. Don't ask. Just stick with your gut. Right. Yeah. And that's the other part of this, too, is that, you know, like these mindsets don't operate in silos, right? One will you know, influence another that will cause another thing. They'll change with circumstances and time. So it's more like, you know, it's like trying to treat a rash rather than cure a disease, right? Like you're, you need to be able to manage these things and have strategies and tools with it. 
I think this is why people call me a sales therapist because I'm always giving them these personal strategies to be able to manage these mindsets as well as teaching them these are behaviors. This is what good looks like. And the thing that's interesting too is, especially with business owners, right? We think that we can just hire salespeople or like, you know, leaders in companies. We can just hire salespeople. They're going to know what to need to do. This is their job. This is what they're going to do professionally. Like it's somehow that they're not going to be influenced by these mindsets in some way. But the fact is, is that I took a subset of that OMG data and I just looked at 500,000 managers. And then I wanted to look at the teams who reported directly to those managers to understand what impact do managers actually have on their teams in terms of mindsets. And this is the thing that was so interesting is that managers who had the non-supportive beliefs, the non-supportive mindsets were passing that on to their teams at 355% more likely for their teams to hold mm. them. And of course, those teams didn't perform as well as the teams who did have managers with the supportive beliefs, the supportive mindsets towards sales. Their teams had a thousand percent more likely to hold supportive beliefs when their manager did. And they far mm. outpaced performance from those that didn't. So our mindsets are contagious mm. to the people that we work with, whether That's for good. good or for, you know, or ill. And so when mm -hmm. we consciously take the effort to address, become aware of how these are impacting us and the small behaviors and habits that we can build to start changing mm -hmm. them, we influence our team to be able to do the exact same thing, right? You've heard that saying, as goes the manager, so goes the team. This is the mm -hmm. proof of that. Yeah, it's, it's always, you know, that manager is the nucleus of the organization. Yeah. And if they are a cancer, then that cancer spreads. Mm -hmm. If they our guiding light, if they are full of energy and growth mindset and focused on change and impact and all those things, then that's what the organization does. That's what their team does. Yeah. And how much more powerful those positive mindsets are, right? Like 355% yeah. versus a thousand percent, right? Like the power of the positive mindset and impact is huge, just huge. It absolutely is. And I mean, what we have to do as individuals, whether we're leaders or individual contributors, we have to realize that the way that we think affects how we act, affects how we feel. And again, whatever happens personally, that goes professionally. If you have a bad morning and then you decide that um, you're going to chop, bite off everybody's head that you see, then when you're sitting in a discovery meeting, your prospect is going to be like, what's up with this person? Like, why are they just so killer like boom 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 and they're not actually listening to me like all of that stuff matters like you are not a different person at home and at work and with your team and with your buyers and with your customers you are always the same person yeah well and i think managers don't realize that they're sometimes a lot of the times causing the very problems that they're trying to solve in their teams right like when you're at the end of the month and you're pushing your team to get those deals in and offer discounts you're creating emotional involvement in the deal which is prohibiting your team from actively listening and asking the questions that will actually get the deal done you're causing the problem and they don't realize that because you know they're getting it from their manager that's applying the pressure and so it's then being passed off to their team and that's why we get the end of the month product pitches and discounts and if you just sign by this date then we can opt that's immediately devaluing the entire sales process and creating a buying experience that they don't want and you are setting a precedent 
Mm -hmm. right? So what happens is the next time that buyer comes back to buy something else from you, they're like, oh, but now I need you to go lower and lower. And you have completely diminished the value of the product that you're selling, the service that you're selling, because you're now focused so much on price. Yeah. And so again, as you said, it stems from the managers or the leadership or the CEO or whoever that is trying to hit the end of the month, hit the end of the quarter to make the investors happy, to make the stock price go up, like all of those things, it boils down to once you get into that pit, it's really hard to climb back out. It really is. You're continuing to dig yourself the hole. Yes. So tell us this book that you have written. Um, we've talked a lot about the concepts that you have included in it, but who will this book help? Who is it specifically for? So I primarily wrote this book for business owners who need to sell and startup entrepreneurs who need to sell, whether that's to VC, getting their first clients or getting their next clients. It also applies to the salesperson working in a company, especially if they're working remotely, they're new to a job, or maybe they've hit a wall after years and years. And I primarily focused it first on the business owner and the entrepreneur for two reasons. One, you see all of the books behind me, you know that the majority of the sales training and teaching and coaching that happens out there is directed for people that work in companies. You also know that selling yourself as a business owner is a whole other game, right? Like there is that emotional tie to the work that we're doing to feed our families. It's our passion. It's our vision of the future. And so we get emotionally wrapped up in that. And so the rejection hurts more. Again, this is how we're feeding our family, but also as business owners and entrepreneurs, we can't spend 100% of our time in sales activities. We have delivery, we have administration, we have all of these other things to do. So the time that we do have to sell needs to be as effective as possible. Yet there are few resources for us to learn how to do that. And nobody's really talking about sales mindsets and how it affects the behaviors. We're all focused on the tactics, the things that we need to do, which is one of the reasons why I say selling isn't something we do to others. It's something we do with them. It's a collaboration. It's an exchange of value. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then the other reason that I focused it for business owners and entrepreneurs was actually so that salespeople could see themselves as business owners and entrepreneurs, because mm -hmm. today's salesperson needs to be entrepreneurial. If you're waiting for your company to tell you what to do, to give you everything that you need to be successful, mm -hmm. then you're going to be waiting a long time. And the only mm -hmm. person who's going to lose out is you. So being able to invest in yourself, to master your craft, the profession of sales is something that falls on the responsibility of the individual, I feel. Mm -hmm. Yes, your company has a responsibility to help that happen, but ultimately at the end of the day, the sales skills that you learn, you will take with you wherever you go. And so I wanted salespeople to also see themselves in light of being an entrepreneur who has to manage their time and all of the other things that go in that when you're working remotely, especially. But if you also think about it, a salesperson is really someone who's building a book of business within another business. So a lot of those same concepts that would apply to an entrepreneur, a business owner, apply to salespeople today, because that's how we need to think in order to be successful in sales today. Awesome. And I completely agree. There are a lot of books out there on sales and selling and techniques and tactics and all of the things that people want to focus on. But what we know is your mindset is what is going to make you lose. If you don't get your mind in the game, if you don't really have that mindset that you need to go and to show up every single day, nothing's going to work. Yeah. And as business owners, as entrepreneurs and as salespeople, because even a salesperson in a company, you feel that rejection sometimes. Yeah. And so being able to think about this is my small business. How am I going to grow my company? 
whether I'm within a company or I'm on my own. Yeah. And so this book, as I said, I have started digging into it and it is a fantastic book. I know some of you guys are watching, um, listening, so you don't see it, but I have my buyer's first copy right here and I'm so excited to dig into it more. Yeah. And I think, you know, the other part of this as well is as salespeople within companies, yes, we need to invest in ourselves and our company has a responsibility to that. But again, like the books with the tactics, it kind of reminds me like the sales industry today reminds me of the weight loss industry, another multi-billion dollar industry, right? Like Harvard Business Review, I think said we spend $70 billion a year in sales training, but only 50 to 53% of salespeople make quota. Despite all of mm. that money. If you look at the weight loss industry, right? It's all about the tactics, the things you should do. Eat this, don't eat that. You know, yeah. do this, don't do that. And they don't address those mindsets. And because they don't, they wonder why it doesn't stick. Like how many times mm. sales leaders have you said, I don't understand why they don't get it, why it's not sticking. It's because we're not addressing this. And yeah. just like weight loss, a behavior change happens in small incremental stages and steps. We all know what to do. We know we should eat mm. vegetables. We know we should exercise more. We know we shouldn't drink alcohol. And we know that we should get more sleep at night. This is nothing new. Nothing mm. in the sales tactics are necessarily new either. But what we're not addressing is why we don't do the things we know we could do and should do in the moments that we do them. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Wow. This has been a fantastic conversation, Carol. I have um, thoroughly enjoyed our time together. Before we wrap up, I want to know where can people get a copy of the book and what is the one best way to reach out to you? So the best way to get a copy of the book is if you go to my website, carolmahoney.com, select the books tab. You'll have the links there for Barnes and Noble, Amazon, or your local bookstore because we need to support our local bookstores. And then, you know, the best way to get a hold of me, obviously you can fill out a form on the website to do that. I think the easiest way that you're going to find me where I spend most of my time online is on LinkedIn. So, you know, reach out, connect with me, say, hey, I saw you on Wesleyan's podcast, loved what you had to say. That way I know you're a real person. Happy to connect with anyone or answer any questions anyone has. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Carol, for sharing your time, your talent, and your expertise. This has been a lovely conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to have more of them. Awesome, awesome. And that was another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Remember, every day, transform your sales. Until next time.